Hi, this is Steve. After almost four years as a slave in the galleys, Judah Ben-Hur has returned to Judea to find his mother and sister and take revenge on the Roman tribune Masala, who condemned his family and destroyed his life. And that revenge does come in one of the greatest action sequences ever filmed, a jaw-dropping chariot race. But Ben-Hur is more than a revenge story. Its full title, after all, is Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ. And the true theme of this film is actually one of redemption. It's this redemption which elevates Ben-Hur and makes it worthy of those 11 Academy Awards. We can't recommend this movie enough, and if you haven't seen it, you can always pick up a copy at our website, cinephiles.net. So, that's Act 2 of William Wyler's Ben-Hur, this Friday on The Cinephiles. It was Judah Ben-Hur I loved. What has become of him? You seem to be now the very thing you set out to destroy, giving evil for evil. Hatred is turning you to stone. It's as though you had become a Sala. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, history, filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Boris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. I'm Judah Ben-Hur. No, this is, uh, <laughs> this is John Rokahari. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, actor, writer, producer, host over at Collider. Uh, and I'm super excited to dive back into this movie this week. Yeah, because we're returning for Act 2 of Ben-Hur. And let's get right on it. We've come out of our intermission. We've yeah. listened to our intermission music. For a week. Walked, yes. Yeah, for a week. <laughs> um, and uh, and we return to the Roman baths, where Masala's getting a nice rubdown, and in comes Hugh Griffith, Sheikh Ildrahim, uh, with a big chest of gold. And a very, like... Angry looking second lieutenant, or lieutenant, second in command. Yeah, which I love. Yeah, that's a great. That's that, a great point. That yeah. guy doesn't say a word, and he's saying everything. And he's got to go. Who wants to bet me on the chariot race? First, gentlemen, the odds. The tribune has won many times. The odds should be in the same measure. Now, what is your pleasure, gentlemen? Two to one. Noble Romans, men of the Tiber, masters of the earth, where is the courage, the daring that made Rome master of the world? I can get better odds on any street market. He's, of course, trying to get his odds a little higher because Masala's the big mm-hmm. winner and he's won all sorts of races. And and wisely, the Romans say, whoa, hold on. We know, you have, we know your horses. Yeah. Who's the charioteer? Oh. Oh, did I not tell you? How careless of me. The prince of her. Judah. Ben-Hur. I love how you yeah. oh, have I not said? The prince yeah. of her. And the, the look he gives Masala. Like, oh, oh yeah. so it's laying the trap. And then, and then I, you know, he plays it beautifully. Well, would no one back the noble tribune against a Jew? A galley slave? <laughs> and Masala gives in on four to one. Yeah. Um, and someone else says four to one, the difference between a Roman and a Jew yeah. or an Arab. And there's that great look from that guy, mm-hmm. as you say. And then Ildrahim says, bravely spoken, yeah. bravely spoken. It's his, it's two words that dig in. It's, it's sick. What, what the kids nowadays call a sick burn. Yeah. Cause he's basically saying, oh, you have a lot of guts when you're standing around with your people. But in reality, if we're alone, you're, you're, 
your bitch ass wouldn't say right. anything like this because you know I'd cut you into little pieces. Right. And I love how he says that, bravely spoken. Oh, yeah. it's such it's, it's such great. a um and this is I, I just think I just had to pause on this moment because today yeah. it seems inevitable and historical that the Jew and the Arab are natural enemies. Yeah. And that is not at all the case nope. in most of history. In most so first of all, this is pre Mohammed, so there's no Islam. And and the the Jews and Arabs and Middle Eastern people, they were all together. I mean, mm -hmm. yes, they had battles against each other sometimes, but mostly they worked pretty well together. And in fact, uh, throughout most of history, the Jews were much better treated by Muslims than they were treated by Christians. Yeah. Much better. Like the, the golden age of Spain, which was when the Moors had ruled Spain, the Jews were doing great yeah. because they were considered people of the book. And it was the Christians that were really not nice to the Jews. And it's yeah. only in the last hundred plus years that that has shifted. Yeah. Um, and I would like to go back to the old way <laughs> of us all getting along a little bit better. It would be nice. Yeah. And part of it is that they have a common en enemy, which mm -hmm. is all of their lands have been conquered by Rome. Yeah. And then he comes up with, okay, this is the bet. And he writes down what his bet's going to mm -hmm. be. It's a big bet. Mm -hmm. And you see Masala take that moment. Yeah. And he's kind of like, oh, if it's too much, of course we no. And he seals it with his ring. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, I, I did some research. Uh, we have no idea what a thousand talents translates to right no. now. We don't really? quite know how much gold that really just was. Know it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he closes the book mm -hmm. and we head off to chariot practice. And now uh, Charlton Heston is driving that chariot, which, by the way, that's not easy. Four horses and chariot is hard. Of course it is. Yeah. For several reasons, it's hard. Steeplechase is hard. That's yeah. one horse. There, there, there's really nothing holding you into that chariot. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. And th those things, there's no shock absorbers. There's, you know, it's just bouncing around. And those horses are going fast. And originally, you would have four sets of reins. And the guy who uh, is the main horse wrangler and the second unit director, mm -hmm. who sounds like he is the real deal and quite a character, is a guy named Yakima Kanut. Oh, nice. And name. Yakima Kanut, who had done tons of westerns and all these American movies, he devised a way you would only have to hold two reins. So one side of each rein is actually the whole rein for each horse. Wow. So so which makes it a lot easier to drive. And Heston had like four weeks to practice with this. And this is this is hard. Mm -hmm. This is hard stuff. And we finish the practice and he's like, oh, they've earned it today. And we go off with Heston. Now it's Heston's time to be alone with the horses. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Clearly some improv in here. Yes. Because the horses are doing stuff that he has to react to. Yeah. Uh, and what's so cool is he has a moment with each of them. Remember, I tell you, nine times around the circus, huh? Hey, <laughs> Rigo, did you hear? Nine lives to live, huh? Then he tells each of them what he wants from them. It's a really nice scene. It is. Yeah. And our sheik comes in and says, you know, you're the only person they've treated. Like, I never thought they'd love someone as much as me. Mm -hmm. And then we find out that Pontius Pilate has arrived, um, which is interesting because he knows Pontius yeah. Pilate. He's a friend of his dad's. And it's also because the sheik sees this as a strike against Roman occupation. And Judah only sees it as a strike against Masala. Right. We're prepping for the race, and they put this beautiful blue cape on uh, Judah. Mm. I think that is the exact shade of blue of the flag of the state of Israel. Oh, interesting. I really do. Okay. Um, that makes sense. I mean, it is like a very strong, specific color of blue. I respect that. And, and I, I think so. I had, didn't check it. Mm. And Judah says, God forgive me for seeking vengeance. My path is set. Into your hands I commit my life. Do with me as you will. That's that's big. I love that. Yeah. And what does the sheik give him? 
gives him a star of David. Mm -hmm. Again, this idea that they're they're much closer to each other than they we would think of them today. Well, it's, but it's also showing Judah that there is something bigger operating here that you're not aware of. Yeah. And I'm trying to make you aware of it. Everyone is trying to make you aware of it. Not just against Rome, but following Christ. Like there's something bigger that is happening all around you, but you're so lost in this pursuit of vengeance that you're not seeing the larger picture here of what could be happening in your life. Yeah, there's there's two things. You know, it's like for the sheik, it is about Rome. Yeah. It is the political. We yes. are we are a conquered people. They are oppressors. Right. And for Esther, it is about and Balthazar, yeah. it is about Jesus and his soul and his forgiveness soul. and this other truth. And, and and Judah is blind to both of these things right. because of his hatred for Masala. We're wait, we got all our charioteers lined up, except where's number five? In comes Masala. He only had about two weeks to practice Holy with, shit. The, uh, with the chariot. Yeah. Respect. I mean, they both did pretty well. Yeah. Um, and he slides up in next to him. And there's this moment of, this is the day, Judah. It's between you and me. He's like, yep, <laughs> this is the day. Now... They both know they're going to try to kill each other. You think so? Well, well, actually, let me take it back because mm -hmm. I don't think Judah is active, spends a lot of time actively trying to kill him. No. I don't think Judah knows. It. I think he wants to kill him. Sure. But Just like the spear moment. Yeah. I don't think he has it within him to necessarily kill him. I think he wants to beat him, but he doesn't necessarily want to kill him yet. Right? right? I don't know that that's a fully formed thought. I think he's going along as it goes along. And what's going to happen is going to happen. And when he says, before he do with, do with me what you will, that's him saying, I'm going to go through with this. I don't know what's going to happen. If I die before I get my vengeance, I understand. Yes. But th I have to do this. Well, and if I can get vengeance and you have to punish me, yeah. then I accept that. Okay. Any know? result I accept. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we it's, she points out that he has a Greek chariot, which means that he's got these big honking metal spikes on the wheels. Cheating son of a bitch. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's true, if there's a, such a thing as a Greek <laughs> chariot, or I don't know the rules of right, the Circus right. Maximus, but that's the deal here. Yeah. And there's this weird moment where Masala goes, Hail Jupiter! Give me victory! And he seems kind of round the bend yeah. at this oh, moment. Yeah, like, of course. He's gone to a weird... Because he's afraid. Yeah. He's afraid, yeah. Steve. Yeah. F this, this thing he thought he killed has come back for him, and he knows he did wrong by him. Even, at the, even as evil as he is, there is some shred of human decency in Masala. And that is why he's acting so insane, because he doesn't believe that he might he actually believes he might lose and yeah he's so afraid to lose because he doesn't know what that's going to look like and so he's acting the nutty he's yeah. acting just insane about yeah. it all and now we enter into the arena <laughs> this is some movie scale i mean this is as i don't i don't know what actually the biggest technically sets in Hollywood ever. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming it's probably not this, but man. It certainly comes close. To this is big think, and it looks think, amazing. Yeah, I think Cleopatra's was larger, their, their scale of stuff, but this was incredible. And if you remember the 1925 version, it's very similar. just as, just yeah. as huge, yeah. and that's 1925. Yeah. So this no, it's incredible. huge. And yes, part of it is a matte painting like up above mm -hmm. certain, like if in the, in the real world, you could see Rome off in the modern Rome in the distance. Incredible. Um, but here, there's a beautifully done matte painting. But man, the, I, and I love, by the way, the statues that are in the 
yeah. infield sort of area. Yeah. They're like 30 feet tall. They took four months to build. They're made out of a material. It's not styrofoam, but it's like mm-hmm. a, a foamy sort of easy to carve material. They are so cool looking. And to make a reference here, Thor Ragnarok. Kind of the same sure. thing, right? Yeah. You yeah. go through the statues that are on the outside of yeah. the arena with Beta Ray Bill and Hulk and all that, and then you go inside. It's just huge. And of course, it's all CGI and all that kind of jazz. But still, the vibe is there. That feeling is there, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just amazing. And, and it's funny. Originally, they were going to ride out and go mm-hmm. right to pilot. Mm. And they liked, they thought it looked so good that they essentially re-edited it so they, it looked as if they did this whole loop around yeah. the stadium, which they never do. In fact, they never go around the whole stadium in the entire race. Oh, It's all trickery. They only shot on one side of the track. <laughs> and so they would shoot going one way, and then they would reverse everything so it looked like they're going the other way. Son of a gun. But they're only going one direction. That's cool. And they would turn, but they would never com- you know, go all the way around. Right, right, right. Isn't that crazy? That's incredible. Um. And but they do this big processional around, and of course, one of the things they had to do is something we talked about, Lawrence Arabia. Every time you do a take, you got to sweep the sand. Yeah, oh man, There's a lot of sand sweeping here. A lot of hoof prints yeah. you got to get rid of. Um, and now we get sort of. Oh, and by the way, the reason that they're so in sync, all those horses as they go around, all of those nine sets of four horses are tied together. Oh, wow. So that's why they're in lockstep, is because they're all yes. That's incredible. <laughs> um, That's incredible. Yeah. Um, and this is, again, Yakima Kanut is coordinating mm-hmm. all this stuff. I love, by the way, that the Roman trumpeters, they play the Ben-Hur theme. Yes. It's <laughs> so nice that they learned that <laughs> from the movie. Um, and Pilate makes a speech, and he welcomes everyone in the name of Tiberius, and he welcomes the char- charioteers, names them all by country. Yep. Those guys are not from that country. These are all guys from Westerns. These are serious, great stuntmen who drove stagecoaches and rode horses, yeah. and these are like, but they all look great. And of course, we name Judea, and we get the biggest cheer for the home team. And then Pilate says, Hail Caesar. The Romans say, Hail Caesar. Then... <laughs> <laughs> nobody else does Pilate's not so pleased uh the attendants run out Pilate ra- raises his handkerchief the guys raise this flag there's a pause drops the handkerchief the flags come down and the race is on <laughs> this is one of the great action sequences of all time without incredible. question incredible amazing just the sound of the horses it's almost deafening yeah then the sound going, then the the uh, the sound of the crowd. Yep. Um, and I don't think there's any musical score there's no here music. until the end. Yep. And but all of it throughout, you are in, you feel like you are riding in a chariot yeah. right next to them, and it's incredible how close you are to the action and how scary it actually is. In really scary. Moments. Yeah. Really scary. It, it it's like 15 minutes long. I mean, yeah. It's a really long sequence. Mm-hmm. It took months and months and months to choreograph. Yeah, sure. They started filming it. Long before they had Charlton Heston there. Wow. Yeah, because what they did was they filmed the whole thing with doubles. And then originally their intention was they would only use Heston and Stephen Boyd in close-ups. Right. But then because they ended up being pretty good charioteers, that they were able to do a lot of other shots with them actually driving the chariots. And and, and so they wouldn't actually do the turns. They would go into a turn or Mm -hmm. come out of a turn. But they wouldn't do the whole turn because turns are really dangerous because – um, those wheels, and they're just wooden wheels, they don't spin on the turns. Right. So they would just, basically the horses, the horses are dragging, the wheels would stop, 
because there, there's no way for them to pivot. Yeah. So the wheels would stop and then the horses would just drag them around that turn, which is why, by the way, you did have to have the strongest horse on the inside mm. because they would take most of the weight of the chariot dragging it around the turn oh and why you also had the fastest horse on the outside because if you think of the geometry of a circle yeah they had to run a lot farther to right. keep up with the inner pivot and so uh it was it was really hard and, and really really dangerous and i love by the way this is what yakima says to heston he says all you have to do is stay in that chariot i goddamn guarantee you you're gonna win <laughs> Um, um, I just it sounds like this guy was a real character. Yeah, one of the interesting things you see right away, Masala is using that whip, mm -hmm. and Judah Ben Hur does not. Nope. Yeah, and that's just a small detail that's really great. And he's in black. Oh, yep, of course. Yeah, that old I mean, black versus white thing. Yeah, this is this is very clear. Mm -hmm. Um, the uh one of the shots that we're in a clearly a camera truck mm -hmm. that's going really really fast, and the horses coming behind. The Italian camera truck, apparently not fast enough. Oh. The horses kept catching up. Finally, they had to ship a new camera truck from the U.S. Wow. That was fast enough because they're going 45 miles. On, I mean, they're going fast. Yeah, man. Um, and one of the interesting technical things, and so a strange thing about film, but it's true of life in general, is your perspective changes your sense of speed. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a high angle, long away camera shot, things seem to go slower. And if you're on like on the vehicle with the camera really low towards the ground, things, your perception of speed is really fast. Yeah. And so in order to balance all this out, they have every camera from every angle working at a different speed hmm. so that they can then speed it up and slow it down to make it seem as if the speed is consistent. Right. Which is a really crazy thing to do. Yeah. So we're, we're in this race, we're going around one chariot goes down with a really great stunt. Guys run in with a stretcher to take take out the bodies, <laughs> and we see those spike chariot wheels. And one dude, you know, almost loses it trying to evade evade it. As they go around each lap, we have fish counters, yeah, which are by the way also in the 1925 version. Uh, one guy kind of challenges Masala, and his chariot gets spiked. He oh. goes down, gets dragged by horses, evades one set of chariots yes. coming right at him, jumps out of the way, and then gets hit and rolled over. Yeah by another chariot his body seems to bend twisted backwards how do they do all this it's all dummies or well that one's a dummy okay so it's 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 a real guy really yeah. dragged by horses when he jumps out of the way of the chariots you're using a longer lens and so longer lenses oh. compress distance gotcha. so he's not as close as you think but it's right. a real stuntman doing a thing right. and then he's sitting up and then they then they place a dummy kind of sitting up in that position for the horses to run over. Whoa. And the cut is really quick, but it looks brutal. It does, man. Totally successful. Yeah. And then Masala is whipping like crazy as Judah catches up. Um, and he kind of whips at Judah's horses, I think. Yeah. And he yeah. whips Judah. Yeah. Well, that comes at the very oh, sorry, end. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're three laps in. Judah ends up way behind. And he's coming up fast. And now we have the camera behind Judah. So we can see that it's really him mm -hmm. doing the horses. And you can tell, by the way, if you look at the hair, you can kind of see, okay, yeah. that's a stuntman. Yeah. Um, and the stuntman, by the way, is Joe Canut, who is uh, Yakima Canut's eldest son, who is oh. apparently a ridiculously good athlete. Wow. Charlton Heston says he's the greatest athlete he ever saw in his life. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, very much so. Two chariots crash into each other, avoiding Masala, and now we're down to four chariots. And again, and now we're trying to not only get the people out, but we guys, guys trying to get these chariots out in time. And and they come around the corner, and Masala sees these chariots are still in the way, so he's driving 
uh, Judah towards the chariots. The horses jump over the chariots. The chariots hit, and Judah flips over forward. Yeah. So here's how this happened. Yes, please. So they're practicing the stunt, and this is uh, Joe Kanut, and his dad is saying, listen, have the horses going full out, but when you're you know 30 yards away or so, ease them off a little bit because you don't want to hit that going full speed. Um, and make sure that you're well braced because that chariot's going to jump up and you don't want to flip out of it. So they come around, and what does Joe do? He goes full speed. Yeah, He doesn't let him off at all. Because he's young, you know. Fuck it. Let's see what happens. And that is an accident. He flips way over and really almost got killed. It was scary as hell to watch in the movie every single time. It is really scary. And it ends up that, you know, again, he's an amazing athlete. Is that he fell forward. He managed to avoid the horses. He managed to avoid the chariot wheels. He got a pretty nasty cut, it sounds like, on his chin and required some stitches. But he was fine. And they're going to throw away the, the, the film and then... And then Weiler sees them in the rushes and he yeah. goes, wait a minute, that's amazing. We got to put this in. And so then they figure out how to do the, the second half with Heston climbing back oh, in this is great. in order to fit it with the stunt yeah. that happened totally by accident. Yeah. But it is a terrifying and amazing film moment. It is. Um, and now we're up at six laps and Masala kind of gets those spikes into his wheel, shaves him, but doesn't break the wheel. Right. And now he's creeping up and the those spikes are kind of tearing apart the chariot Mm -hmm. it is a really intense sequence we're at seven laps and now masala starts to whip judah yeah and that's out of frustration yeah and this is where i go you know what judah never really did try to kill him Mm -mm. um he's trying to win the race he's trying to win the race Mm -hmm. that's really interesting because he said that i mean that's all he wants is revenge right but what does revenge look like it could be he never articulates what is revenge is right he never really says i want to kill masala he right. just says i want vengeance or i want revenge and when he says do with me what you will i think that's him surrendering to whatever's going to happen in that race and so he's folk i don't, huh. I don't yeah maybe yeah and i don't think he knows for sure how yeah. the race is going to go and it's a chariot you can't predict anything yeah. and so you know to to go in with a, a mindset of trying to kill someone which is what seems like masala's point of view was yeah we saw what that end result was because you take chances or you uh lose your head because you're not getting what you want out of that situation and you end up in the situation that you do yeah and as he's whipping judah we see that the wheels of the chariots have become intertwined so that masala's wheel is inside judah's wheel and that as he whips him judah finally catches the whip pulls it out of his hands whips him back throws away the whip and then masala pulls away and in pulling away it rips the own his own wheel off his chariot his chariot collapses not only does he slain you know his chariot is destroyed he's dragged by the horses and then another chariot runs over him and it's it's and this is a mix i think of a human doing a stunt because there's that moment where he's actually under the chariot holding on underneath which is the classic old stagecoach stunt you know even goes to raiders of lost ark is the same kind of right. dragged underneath but then we go to the dummy and he just gets brutalized mm. um and for a while like it is it's trampled it's brutal he's trampled for a while yeah uh and and judah wins the race and there's this moment as he he's coming towards masala and i almost think there's a thought of if he's going to trample him too and then he pulls away yeah i i, I there's just a look and when there's also a look that, on well, his face yeah that you get from Heston of like, oh God, it's happened. To me, it. Uh, well, let's, like I said, film is all interpretive and right. whatever you take from it. For me, that look is uh, when he rides by, I think it's a look of uh, still 
affection for his friend. I even, agree. I, no, I totally yeah, agree with that. Even deep within him. And so he checks to see if he's okay, but he sees what's left. But I think in that moment, he also realizes that he does not have affection for him anymore at that level that he used to have. So he's checking in on him, but he also realizes, which is why his face is almost dismissive of the situation right it isn't effect he doesn't try to get off the chariot to try to check on him he just looks and sees and he sees what vengeance can lead to what the giving into yeah. the dark side yeah. of your nature can lead to so there's a progression starting to happen with him that begins in that moment when he sees him and, and i think there's an emptiness because yes emptiness. okay yes Steve. you got your revenge well and this is why i, as a, I don't have a revenge whatever the revenge gene mm-hmm. is that doesn't exist like in me i don't Think that was lucky stars. You don't have that because I don't understand the point. I because that. I don't get anything from it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't. So he doesn't have his wife and his or his mother and his sister back. Okay, yeah. what what'd you get? It's temporary. Yeah, but there's a there's a drive of justice. Look, I get. I understand it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, but I don't. I don't have that feeling so strongly. Um, and the locals are cheering. Everyone's yeah. cheering. I love how they jump out of the stands. That can't have been easy, dude. Yeah. Jumping it, out of, that's a long distance? It is. And apparently, like, they weren't in a lot of control. These are a bunch of Italians because yeah. we're, in, we're in Rome. And they didn't have a lot of control over these I'm people. Sure. And what they say, I don't know if I believe it. There's a dude that picks up the helmet. Yes. And that, he's, ah, that, That's off. just some extra who did it on his own. No that's one told great. him to do that. Um, and now we have Judah and Pilate. And he makes a really weird speech. A great victory. You are the people's one true God. For the time being. Just to worship. Now, you know, Jesus is running around right at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a weird thing. I don't know quite what Pilate's doing. It's strange. I think it's a window into Pilate because you also know in the Bible, Pilate doesn't want to do this to Christ. He washes his hands of the situation. He tries to. But he is forced by the people to make a decision to let Barabbas go and put Christ in the situation. So the Pontius Pilate, to me, from what I've always interpreted is, he is an unfortunate character in the situation who's not strong enough to take a stand to stop Christ, this happening to Christ. Uh, And so he's not necessarily a bad person by heart, but he is caught in the situation and he does what is politically feasible for him at the time, but also what has to happen for Christ to be crucified and redeemed and for everything to go as the prophecy is said. So I don't, so when he's making this speech to him, I think you're getting a window in the Pontius Pilate that he's not a person who seeks vengeance or, or an evil person. That's my interpretation. Well, if so, I mean, certainly this movie is uh, presenting a fairly uh, sympathetic version of Pontius Pilate. Mm -hmm. And, uh, to me, this moment of let us worship you, there's a bit of weird mockery in here. Oh, you think so? Yeah. You know, you're oh, your people's one that. true God. You know, and like, particularly when all these messianic things are happening within yeah. uh, the Jews at this time, and he's going, oh, well, now they now they like you. Yeah. You know, it's it's a, it's a weird moment to me. Okay. Um, the, as far as the pilot and his portrayal, I mean, this is a big thing, particularly for Jews, because mm-hmm. Jews for 1,500, 1,800 years were called the murderers of christ that's a fair point and it's, yeah. and i've always been like uh the romans were in charge of that man. yeah it wasn't the jews that did it yeah you know and and also and this is always a weird thing because the 
saying the Jews killed Christ. It's like, well, Jesus was a Jew. Right. All of his followers were Jew. Mary was a Jew. Joseph was a Jew. You know, so it's not the Jews. Were there Pharisees who didn't like Jesus? Yes. Yeah. Did they make a deal with the Romans? And, you know, yes, those things happen. Mm -hmm. But to, you know, the fact that my people were blamed for 1,500 years for this guy's death seems kind of messed up. It's productive thinking. Yeah. It's, it would be like saying, oh, well, the blacks killed Malcolm X. It's like the people who killed him were African American, right, right? But that's doesn't. It's not the same thing, right? You know. And and what's interesting too is because Constantine becomes a Christian mm. and Rome becomes the heart of Christianity. And Constantine, of course, Greek Orthodox also is connected to the Romans. So Rome is so much connected to Christianity. Yeah. I think there's an attempt over a few thousand years to turn down the Roman culpability in the death of Christ and turn up the Jewish culpability in the death of Christ. Certainly possible. So, so you know, but but certainly in the context of this movie, Pontius Pilate is portrayed in a fairly sympathetic way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing he does is he puts a crown on his head. And that crown, man, that is like, we're, we're not subtle about our Jesus no, no. references That's here. Good point. Good yeah. point. Yeah, let us allow us to worship you. And maybe there is mockery there, Steve. I hadn't thought of that. That's a great I mean, point. it's a weird, it's a weird moment. The crown is the the crown in essence is the crowning yeah. moment of that. So I, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Um That's a good point. Now we're with Masala mm-hmm. and the surgeons. And he's going Ugh. they're saying we cannot wait, and he says he will come. You will come. Yeah. I know it. I've sent for him, and he will come. If you wish us to keep you alive. We have to go to work now, Tribune. Do you understand? Take the legs off me. Not yet. Not till I've seen him. I don't receive him with half a body. And and they're not going to wait at this point. They're strapping him down. Nope. They're getting ready to start. No! And, and for the third time, Judah Ben-Hur appears. In shadow, in the doorway. Yeah. Very powerful. Yeah, three times. Yeah. And he's there. And his, yeah. you know, and, and Masala's like... Three times. You know, deny him three times. Yep. Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) Interesting. And he says, Triumph, triumph complete, Judah. The race won. The enemy destroyed. And Judah says something so interesting, which is he says, I see no enemy. I see no enemy here. Yeah. Um, so that last look at him. I think, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I agree. I think, I think in that moment, like he's kind of, oh, you know this revenge. I'm getting out of the revenge business. Yeah, because you know my friend. Um, and and then, but then Masala won't be recast. He's like, what do you think you see? The smashed body of a wretched animal. There's enough of a man still left here for you to hate. And then he makes it even worse. Let me help you. You think they're dead? Your mother's sister, dead. And the race over. It isn't over, Judah. They're not dead. Where are they? Where are they? Look for them in the valley of the lepers. If you can recognize them. And I tell you, see, Steve, I have done this scene for my family for years, over and over and over again. Wait, you've acted this? Yes, out? all the time. Yes, what, playing which oh, part? Both. Wow. Because you 
Cause it's great. Cause what he says to him, you know, not great, obviously, in what he's doing, but like great in terms of the scene. He just, you know, he says, "You think, you think this is over?" And all of that is so Good well. Acting. It, it's it's incredible by Stephen Boyd what he does. Because it, you, in the hands of a, maybe a lesser actor, it's over the top and dramatic, but it's so believable. And he's still driven to be the evil. You know why? Because it's unrequited love. It is this last stab at you from heart, from whatever it is that Ahab says. You know, I stab at the. He's doing that to Judah because he is so heartbroken by what Judah has done because he sees Judah not helping him as a betrayal not returning the love and then the betrayal of it all that's how he sees it it's not correct but that's how he sees it and so when he's saying that let me give you one last thing let me help you hate me more let me help you be the good person that you want to be and he says you know look for them in the valley of the lepers and then uh, Judah's reaction like it's so like it's so believable the pain of it all because he's just accepted that they're dead now you're telling me they're alive but they're in a living death of leprosy it is incredible steve good god that scene is so full of power and destruction and hate and pain oh i'm just saying it's it's a culmination of the movie to that moment of their their thing so how much of a contribution on Patreon will it require <laughs> for you to act both parts of this scene for our fans? Uh, not much, because I love the scene. But yes, whatever you want, I will absolutely record myself doing this if you ever want me to. I will, I will edit it together. <laughs> I love this scene. Oh, no, it's great. It. And it's a great, great death. Mm-hmm. And, what, and, and, and then Judah pulls his hand off his shirt and he walks out. Yeah. So uh, two two things. One is because even then he can't choke him. Even then he can't kill him. Even no. then, Steve, he cannot kill him. He could totally choke him right there, but he he doesn't. Well, he doesn't really need to. The guy's dead. Yeah. I mean, the guy's dying. Yeah. Um. But here, so here's my question. Yeah. If Masala, if Judah had said, "I see no enemy here," yeah, and Masala had said, "Okay," yeah, what happens in the movie? It's a good question. I see no enemy here. Because I think Judah is ready to, to forgive, forgive him. Absolutely, he is. And so I think he finds, maybe he finds Jesus next. I mean, maybe he doesn't. I th- it, what is what Masala does to him in this moment yeah. that puts him real? Because, but then there is no resolution because we don't know where his, he'll never find out where his wife and his sister are. Well, no, I mean, no, of course. I'm, it's correct for the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is where the movie has to go. Sure, sure, sure. But like, I think the true darkness of Judah, he, I think he was. He wanted to find his mom and sister. Right. He wanted to deal with Masala, but yeah. I don't think he was a full Avenger. No. For real. He never actively does anything to to uh, commit vengeance on Masala. Never once. But now, ironically, after his the person, the object of his vengeance is dead, yeah. that's when the true anger and vengeance comes upon him mm-hmm. because of what Masala does to him yeah. in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. It is a. It is a. It is quite a scene. Um, and, and it's funny, he, Judah walks out into the arena and sees it. And I think all of it has been transformed. Yeah. And where does he head now? He heads to the Valley of the Lepers. Yeah. And there's this tower above this kind of stone Valley where there's people lowering food and Judah says, Hey, how do you get down there? And they're like, what are you a madman? Yeah. Why would you go down there? And of course he does go down there 
And he starts to walk in and we see the lepers. And again, they're treated really in a creepy way. These people covered up and cowering. And he asks for two women and they say, oh, there are lots of women here. And he asks, they're they're from the house of her, the family of her. And they say, we have no names here. Mm. The Valley of the Lepers is a rough place. Yeah. Um, And he looks up and who does he see coming down into the valley? Tirza. Yeah. No, Esther. Esther, sorry. Esther Esther and Moloch, the big, the big guy. And she's bringing food to them. And now, in this moment, Judah knows that Esther's lied to him. Mm-hmm. He, this, these whole 10 minutes from Masala to these, Steve is full of betrayal from the oh, people yeah. who he had thought were the closest to him. Masala obviously had been for a while betraying him. And now uh, Esther. And I think he handles the Esther thing very well because she, mm. he, he doesn't really condemn her. No. He, he, you know what I mean? He, which he could. Yeah. Because what she did was pretty harsh. But he understands. Mm-hmm. That she did it out of a promise to them, which as, is what she tells them, as he does his anguished, uh, dramatic acting on the rock. Listen, we—it is—it's so funny. I was looking at this moment, and it is—it is perfectly dramatically staged, and it's perfectly Heston, and oh it's full—it's you're getting the full Heston. You are getting the full Heston. Um, I just sprawled out on the rock. Oh, it's so great. I yeah. love it. Love um, it. And, yeah, because and the reason he sprawled out there is because Miriam and Tirza have come out to get yeah. the food, yeah. and they ask, "Is Judah well?" Is he happy? Is Judah well? Is he happy? Yes, he is well. Your mind can be at rest for him. He is well, Miriam. Again, she lies. Yeah. Because he is not a happy dude. And he does, but he also doesn't have the strength to go down there yet. Yeah. Not yet. Well, and this is, I mean, this is a, to take in. Well, and it's a tough, you know, you were just told the worst thing you could possibly do for them is reveal yourself. Yes. That's a tough. And your best friend's just been trampled in the arena. Yeah. So, like, it's a lot of it. Yeah. You did win the race, though. <laughs> I guess what, I, like you said, whatever that means. Whatever that means. Once you commit the vengeance, it's empty. Yeah. Whatever absolutely. that means. Yeah. Um, you pick up the food and head back into the cave, and then they're gone. Hmm. And Esther's like, okay, we can go back. Let's go back. And Judith goes, Go back to what? Judah, they have one blessing left. To think you remember them as they were. And live your own life. Forget what is here. Forget. It is that they were alive in a grave. But what can you do? Undo what you've done. How could you have suffered them to come here? I must seek. No, Judah, please, Judah! And he tries to go. He tries to go see him. And but you're not getting past Moloch, man. No. That's a big that's a big dude. Um and she it would tear them apart to see you. Yeah. And it's funny, the 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 next moment as they finally convince him to go away is we see these people walking towards this hill. Mm-hmm. And I think you know really yeah. quickly. What this is, that this is the Sermon on the Mount. Yep. And it's funny, I was thinking a lot. I am Jewish, uh, but also an atheist. Hmm. Like, And yet, I have spent so much time thinking about faith and the power of faith. And there's no question in my mind that faith has tremendous power to heal, Mm -hmm. regardless of whether the fact that I think that the particular thing that people are believing in is true. Um, And in particular, the connection of faith to despair. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like if you look at 12-step programs, there's always the, you have to hit your bottom. Right. And then, you know, the second step is 
putting faith in a higher power right. is that something about the connection between I have nothing else except to believe in that which is impossible to believe in. Yeah. And, th and within that belief is the power to heal. That is a profound thing. Mm -hmm. And Judah has hit bottom. And he is right at the moment of one of the most, most profound moments of faith in the history of Christianity, the Sermon on the Mount. And is he going to accept it or reject it? And here's Balthazar. And Balthazar says, Judah! Judah! He's here. I have found him. The child has become a man. And the man, oh, I know it now. He's the son of God. I have found him. I found him. And you could see that Esther is, she's in. Yeah. Like she does it. I mean, she kind of drifts right away from Judah. Is like, no, I'm going to go listen to this thing. Yep. And Balthazar's trying to get Judah to come. And, and what's funny is in this moment, he's almost there because what is he thinking about? The man who gave him water. Right. When the Romans were marching me to the galleys, thirst had nearly killed me. The man gave me water to drink. I went out living. I should have done better if I'd poured it into the sand. No. I'm thirsty still. Come and listen. I have business with Rome. Great lines, man. It really is. Um, and Balthazar is so sad because he says, oh, you insist on death. And Judah leaves. Mm -hmm. And Esther stands to listen. And just as Jesus has come onto the mountain, again, we see him from behind, yep. from a distance. Judah turns back and looks just for a moment. And then he leaves. Um, and then we see from behind Jesus approach the crowd. And Esther sits down to listen. Judah is gone. Mm -hmm. But do we hear the Sermon on the Mount? No. We do not. We never hear his voice. It's all through the faces of the people yeah. there, which is great. Well, and here's the thing that I thought. I have a totally bizarre comparison. Okay. The treatment of Jesus in Ben-Hur makes me think of why Steven Spielberg was so lucky that the shark didn't work in Jaws. Mm. And here is my reasoning, is that what makes Jaws so scary is that the shark exists in your imagination. Yep is that you are completing the picture mm -hmm. of the most terrifying, horrible shark possible. What we see with Jesus is the effect he has on everybody else. Yeah. Is that we don't know what that centurion saw when he turned away. Yeah. We don't know what Judah saw. We don't hear him speak. We don't know what these characters felt when they interacted with him. But we see the profundity of their experience. Mm -hmm. And through that, we, through our imagination, just like you do with the shark and Jaws, yeah. fill in the most mystical powerful, spiritually alive thing possible. And had he said something, or had we seen it, it would have just been that. Right. Instead of something really profound, which is what it ends up being. Because yeah. it's not his story. No, it's not his story. It's not Christ's story. It's Although it is called story. A Tale of the Christ. Yeah. But it's been her story. Well, it's so... Because what's interesting about it is what it really is, is a tale of the redemptive influence of Christ yeah. on this person. Yeah, but that's too long. Yeah. That would be a bad title. <laughs> um, John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old. And this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. 
Yeah, Steve, and as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. So Judah goes to see Pilot, and I think this is a great scene. Yeah. Um... And, and Pilate has a message from dad, you know, because you're still a citizen of Rome, right? And he says, I have just come from a valley of stone where my mother and sister live what's left of their lives. By Rome's will, lepers, outcasts without hope. And, and Pilate is like, look, Masala's dead. What Masala did died with him. Yeah, that's... He's trying yeah. to say that, yeah. But at this point, Judah has said, no... Rome is yeah. Masal. It's Rome that did it. Their flesh is mine, my lord Pilate. It already carries Rome's mark. Masala is dead. What he did has had its way with him. The deed was not Masala's. I knew him well before the cruelty of Rome spread in his blood. Rome destroyed Masala as surely as Rome has destroyed my family. And this Pilate, he's pretty reasonable. Yeah. He's like, listen. Where there is greatness, great government or power, even great feeling or compassion. Error also is great. Greatness makes mistakes. That a place like Rome, all the great emperor empires, Rome, the British Empire, mm -hmm. the American, you know, like Absolutely. they do great stuff. And mm -hmm. when you with great power means you're going to make big mistakes. Yep. But that doesn't mean, but Rome is the truth is what he's like. Like, look, this is what it is. And he says... Um, don't crucify yourself, again, that word crucify, mm. don't crucify yourself on a shadow of old resentment or impossible loyalties. The grown man knows the world he lives in, and for the present, the world is Rome. That's a harsh truth, but I, yeah. to, to some degree, I think it is the truth, which is not to minimize the cruelty and the evil perpetrated by empire. Right. But it is true. And if you can reduce this film... It is a pampered white Jewish prince sure. who has had his first taste of not having things work out for him. Yeah. And it, became, it becomes this massively epic revenge tale, whereas people who were of lower station than him have had numerous things occur to their family or their lives or their people they love in worse uh, uh, ways but don't get the well they have been lucky enough to have exactly. to have the exactly. physical abilities and to be saved yes. by the consul of Rome yes. and made a chariot That's here what and I'm made saying. his son and have wealth and all, all these this things. incredible story right that other guy who was 40 in the galley he didn't get <laughs> he anywhere didn't get he right. probably was pissed off about some stuff too exactly yeah, that's, no, that's that... what i'm getting but it has to work this way because you have to see yourself to a degree in the in the protagonist as elevate as a higher thing and well, you want to enjoy that well and there's i would say there's three sort of stories at play here mm. one story is the story of personal revenge yeah and personal save my mom and sister get revenge against the guy who did it yeah the second story is political 
Rome is a conquering, uh, are the conquerors, and there are oppressed people who want to strike back at Rome. Yeah. That's the Sheik story. Mm -hmm. And the third story is spiritual, that this is a battle for the soul of Judah Ben-Hur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and what's interesting is that they're in conflict with each other Mm -hmm. because the revenger is damaging the soul of Judah Ben-Hur. Right. And the choice of redemption and the choice of forgiveness stops you from being a rebel. Well, and of course, what Jesus said is, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, Mm -hmm. is that Jesus, you know, and this is, of course, a controversial and complicated statement of like, was Jesus rebellious against Rome? Mm. Because at the time, there were people that believed that he was, and there were all sorts of different rebellions. We have Masada, like 30 years after this, I think, you know, that, that are going on. And what is the responsibility? And to some degree... This gets into way too much theology mm-hmm. and b- it's way above my pay grade, but there is a connection between um, subservience to the will of God and certain interpretations of Christianity, mm. you know, and, th- and that gets really into some complicated yeah. stuff. But the acceptance of no, you are on a spiritual jur- journey to resolve your own soul, yeah, and part of that is to accept suffering, like the yeah. idea that the lot in life is suffering, and that in the kingdom of heaven you get redemption and all the good stuff is going to happen. So accept suffering. And so what's happening in this movie is that he is. I would believe in the end of this movie, accepting the rule of of Rome, he does. You know, because right he's not going to fight against. He's not no. going to be a, rebe- a rebel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's an interesting, complicated thing, which I love. That's why Pontius is incredibly uh, philosophical in this moment. Yeah. and I love that stuff that he's saying. It's really interesting. Well, and what he says, he offers him an out. He yes. says, he says the son, young Arius, will choose correctly. And Heston replies, "I am Judah Ben Hur." Yeah, yeah. And the last, he gives him one last chance. He says, I cross this floor in friendship. When I go up these stairs, I am the hand of Caesar. Yeah. And you're a hero to all these people. And if you stay here, you will find yourself part of the tragedy. Yeah. You know? And of course, he doesn't give in. Mm-hmm. Pilate walks back up those stairs. Sure. And he takes that off his ring and says, give it back to, Ari- to Arius and tell him I honor it. I'll wear it no longer. Yeah. Which is a noble thing he does. I can no longer be his son because to be his son... Is yeah. to support Rome, and That's I don't right. support Rome, and I respect him too much to lie. And but I also love the fact that uh, Pontius, in this moment, he's well. He said he does give him one last shot, but once again, I think what Pontius says here, the tragedy, is what you were bringing up earlier, which I hadn't really looked at it this way, Steve. Like you, he's prepping for Jesus. Oh yeah, and so the tragedy he's talking about is possibly what's going to happen to Christ momentarily or very soon or already or already happened. i mean if yes. we look at what the you know it's like the yeah. time between the trial and the crucifixion yeah. and the time that it takes we're in the same 36 hour period yep. somewhere around there yep. this is all happening pretty quick yep. um uh judah returns home and esther is excited and thrilled and filled with life she embraces him because she's just experienced yep the Sermon on the Mount. She's yeah. heard the words of Jesus. and uh, But as soon as she touches him, the, the anger that's like radiating off of him, um, and she's just asking, what do you mean to do? And he doesn't answer. And she says, rest, sleep. Let your mind be at peace. Peace. Love and peace. Do you think I don't long for them as much as you do? Where do you see them? 
And she tries to explain this man from Nazareth. And he had a, yeah. a voice that was more than a voice. He's a man that was more than a man. And she quotes, which, you know, and here's the thing. So I'm not religious. I do not think that Jesus was the Messiah or mm -hmm. the Son of God. How dare you? I love Jesus. As, <laughs> yeah, as, as, as yeah. philosophers yeah. go, you know, so much of what he says is what I believe in. Mm -hmm. um, and the Sermon on the Mount is among the most beautiful pieces of compassion yeah. and gentleness and forgiveness that you could ever hear. And he says, she quotes him, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. Yeah. And, and his response is, I tell you every man of Judea is unclean and will stay unclean until we've scoured off our bodies, the crust and filth of being at the mercy of tyranny. No other life is possible except to wash this land clean. In blood? Yes, in blood. To which she responds, blood begets more blood, as dog begets dog. And again, she quotes Jesus. Love your enemy. Do good to those who despitefully use you. And, man, that's... Because the thing about the words of Jesus, love your enemy, that's hard. Very hard. That is a really, really hard thing to do. Yep. And basically something very few human societies, governments, ever sure. It's hard. Mm -hmm. Um. And what's so sad about this scene is it's not just his soul or his vengeance, but there cannot be love between them now. Yeah. Because his anger, his hate, his lust for vengeance, they, first they were prevented for whatever reason years and years ago, mm -hmm. and now they've come together and they need each other and they love each other and they can't have each other yeah. because of his hate and his anger. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, his response is, it is better not to love me. It was Judah Ben-Hur I loved. What has become of him? You seem to be now the very thing you set out to destroy, giving evil for evil. Hatred is turning you to stone. It's as though you had become a Salah. Da -da. Big music. Scene. Great music here. Yeah. Which is what people saying for years in movies, right? Costner says that in, in Untouchables. I have become what I beheld and I have content that I've done that I've done so. Right. And it's the danger of it all. You know, yeah. Becoming what you hate in pursuit of destroying what you hate. Well, this is this is the thing is that being realistic, we know that sometimes people have to do things that aren't so good to accomplish good goals. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the middle of World War II and there's going to be, you're going to use a bomb and there are going to be some innocent people that are going to die and right. we're going to go, you know what, stopping the Nazis and the Japanese, that's worth it. Yeah. And there's a certain point where you've gone too far. Yeah. And figuring out where that gone too far moment is, that is really hard. Mm -hmm. And anyone who thinks it's easy does has not been paying attention. Yeah. You know. Or is sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. Thinking they can judge from the sidelines. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we return to the Valley of Lepers. And Esther is there and Miriam comes out and Judah is watching from above. Mm -hmm. um, but there's no Tirza. And Esther asks where Tirza is and, she's, and, and Miriam won't answer. Just leave the food. Um, and Esther's trying to say, no, I've seen this man from Nazareth. Mm. I've, I've had this experience. And, and, and we don't have to be unhappy the way you believe. You have to come with me to Jerusalem. But the reality is Tirza is dying. Yeah. Um, please leave the food to go and go. And then there's this moment where Miriam looks up and there's Judah mm -hmm. standing in front of her. It's Judah. Why did you tell him? No nearer, please, God, no nearer. And Miriam, of course, she just tries to get away. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And and Esther says that Tirza is dying. And if they will just because she is like, look, just see Jesus and everything's mm-hmm. gonna be okay. Um, and you'll know that life is everlasting and death is nothing to fear. And then Esther does this, she grabs Miriam, mm-hmm. the leper. She mm-hmm. holds her, and Miriam, of course, is resisting. Yeah. And Esther lifts her up, and then Judah comes, asks where Tirza is. And, and, and she encourages it. Esther encourages it. Yeah. Yes, Judah, yes. Yeah. It's incredible. And and there's this moment that's really strange, whereas Judah is talking to his mother, and mom is trying to discourage him. Go away. Don't mm-hmm. be here. What does she do? She shows her face. Not to us. Right. But to Judah. Once again. And I love Heston's acting in this moment. Yeah. Because the look on his face is really one of just compassion. You know? And we see the good Judah here. Yeah. We see that person again. Yeah. And he goes to the cave to find Tirza. Mm-hmm. And there's a beautiful shot through like the mouth of the cave where Miriam turns to the light and she says that she's not afraid anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting towards some stuff now. Mm-hmm. And this was what's so interesting is that in in one sense, Masala died, that should be the resolution of the movie. Right. But in fact, now we're getting towards the resolution of the movie because this is really what the film mm-hmm. is about. Mm-hmm. Um, through this long kind of searching through the cave, he finally finds Tirza. She tries to hide from him as well. Mm-hmm. And he takes her in his arms and he carries her out. And they arrive in Jerusalem with these two lepers, and there's a blind man. And where are all the people? Well, all the people have gone to the trial. Yeah. And then people see that they are lepers, and of course, out come the stones. Yeah. And even the poor man turns the coin over out of his cup. Won't touch the coin. Yeah. Well, when you don't know where disease comes from. (laughs) And you're blind. And you're blind. It seems fairly (laughs) scary. And now we see the trial, and again, from way behind, and we see Jesus is standing there. We see that he's been whipped. We still don't see his face. And then they lift the crosses, and we go on the journey of the cross towards the crucifixion. And they're whipping Jesus as we go. Which is a slower score than the, but it's very similar to the score in the galleys. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, it has a similar feel. I had to listen to them again, but you're right. They have a similar feel. Um, And the family herd arrives, and they watch, and... And fortunately, people run away from the lepers, which yeah. allows them to get some good seats. <laughs> um, and uh, they're right there as Jesus climbs the stairs right by them. Great shot of the shadow of the cross yeah. going by. Yeah. And Judah looks up and says, I know this man. And Jesus falls right in front of Judah. And the fact that it's we see the reaction to it, but don't see it is so important. Yeah. And Judah tells Esther to walk, watch over his mom and sister because he has to follow this man. Yeah. This is a huge change from where, just a scene, just a couple mm-hmm. scenes ago. Mm-hmm. He was like, "There's going to wash the city clean in blood, and mm-hmm. there can't be you know, got to forget you ever knew me." And he's become like Masala, and now he's following Christ mm-hmm. on the journey with the cross. Of course, the symbolism of it all. Yeah. Right. If you follow Christ, you can let go of this pain. And by the way, I've walked it because I've yeah. been to Jerusalem and walked this. Oh wow! From the seven stations of the cross. Really? And yeah. They let you. They let sure. you do. There's tours. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, would, oh shit. Well, and you could go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where there's pieces of the cross, and I mean it. Yeah, it's. All right, Steve. You may have just put something in my head. All right. No, Jerusalem is a remarkable place to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know, because you have three cultures all who have. This is their holy place. Yeah. You know, Jews, Muslims, and and you know, it's the third holiest city in the Muslim world. Yeah. And for Christians and Jews, this is it, man. Mm-hmm. So like and a lot of that history, you know, the wall, the Western Wall is still there. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. this that's an old walled city. It's it's mm-hmm. something to walk around okay. in. 
Um, and um, Judah is following Jesus, and Jesus falls again, and this is where Simon comes to take the yeah. cross, um, and Judah brings Jesus water. And now he's realized who this guy is, mm-hmm. and the water is kicked away. Jesus doesn't get to drink the water. Right. There's a remarkable shot that's uh, with Judah holding this water cup in the foreground and Jesus going away in the background. And what's so interesting about it is the cup is in focus and Jesus is going out of focus. Yeah. And there's something so profound within being within Judah's emotional moment, even though we're not seeing him, Mm -hmm. just holding this cup as Jesus is taken away. And now we've arrived at the crucifixion. Right. And it's funny... um, the desire, I want to say the joy, but the, the, we want to relive the old stories again and again. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you said at the beginning in our, in the beginning when we started this mm-hmm. whole thing that you've always been fascinated by this story. Well, and of course you have, because it is quite literally one of the most important stories in history. Mm. Billions of people throughout the last 2000 years have continued to come back to the manger, mm. the Sermon on the Mount. The crucifixion, sure. you know, to see this person's journey. It is as compelling as you can imagine. Mm. And at the crucifixion, we see the disciples kind of huddling together. Yeah. We see the Pharisees. And we're in this wide shot as they put the cross in and it falls into place in this wide shot. Ugh. It's right out of a Renaissance painting. Yep. I mean, it really is. Yep. And Judah watches with Balthazar mm-hmm. um, as the cruci- crucifixion happens. And I love Balthazar's line here. I have lived too long. Yeah. Wow, it's so powerful. And, and, and Judah too going, well, this is where your search brought you. You gave me water and a heart to live. What has he done to merit this? And, and Balthasar tells him. He's taken the world of our sins onto himself. To this end, he said he was born. For this cause, he came into the world. And... Heston asked for this death and this beginning very Good powerful stuff man yeah yeah uh you know I don't want to you maybe you'll cut this out and maybe I'm an insane person I don't necessarily believe well maybe who knows in past lives, but over the last 20 or 30 years as I've kind of experienced this in multiple media and also reading it or in church and stuff, there is just this belief inside me and a very core piece of me that I was there. Some, not, and I don't think I was a disciple or anything. I just think I was there. And I have thought about doing like they have those people who can regress you into past lives or whatever and exploring if that's true. But for whatever reason, and I have no experience with anything else like I do with Mm. the crucifixion, which is why I I really believe inside when it does affect me the way it does, I feel like I was there because it is like a memory. It's very visceral. And so... You might be right that it's just coming back to the old stories. I rewatch movies all the time because I like to go back and enjoy them. But there is something about this that speaks at a deeper core, emotional core for me. And maybe people listening, if you keep do keep this in the episode, maybe people listening are like, oh, that's insane. Or you're trying to be, 
you know, too self-important. No, it comes from a place of just feeling like I was there and uh, a pain about it. And that's so when I when I see it, even you talking about it now, I started to get emotional again because it's just like it's a very um, I don't know. I don't know any other word than powerful. I mean, it's all. I, I don't think it's insane at all. I, I, and it's funny I mean, because it doesn't necessarily mean that I think that it's true. Right. But the power of these stories is undeniable. And one thing, while I don't believe in God and this conception of yeah. Christ and Messiah and sin and those things, I do 100% believe in the power of these stories. Yeah. And these power of these stories to do both good and to do bad, you know, to heal and to hurt. Yeah. Is that is that there's no question that there's something about this moment of the crucifixion that we return to. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are at least three or four stories that I've written that deal with things that had to do with the crucifixion. Oh, wow. You know, because we keep coming back here. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. there was a science fiction story I did about the 30 pieces of silver, you know, Oof. and the power of them that they would become talismans mm-hmm. that were used. And it was in the future, but someone had found them and they were bringing them together and they had like evil power. Wow. It was a screenplay of mine from a long time ago. Interesting. It was a, it was a good one. Cool. You know, so it's like, we keep going back to this. And, and what's interesting too, is that, this is one of the most important moments in history. Yeah. You know, is that the transition that happens here. So there's a book called God, a biography. I think I've mentioned on the podcast before. Mm. I cannot remember the author. He's a Jesuit scholar and he wrote both God, a biography and Jesus, a biography, both of which are fascinating, mm. deep historical explorations. It's not Reza Aslan, is it? No, it's not Reza okay. Aslan. He's, he's, his book on Jesus is called Heret- Heretic, I think, oh, okay. I, or Fanatic. Um, it's great too. Mm-hmm. I've read that as well. Um, the, um, one of the things they say in this God of Biography book is that that there's one of the key moments in his religious history is the moment of the Ten Commandments. Mm. And the reason that it's so important is that previous to this, in almost all religions, uh, whether you're talking about Greek mythology or Norse mythology or Indian mythology, is that there isn't a moral core to divinity. In other words, you didn't, Zeus was not a good guy, mm-hmm. you know, Poseidon was not a good guy. Odin was not a good guy. Mm. They were very human. They had good parts and bad parts and vengeful and all these emotions. When Moses brings the 10 commandments down from the mountain, there is a connection made between doing good and being a good person mm. and God, that God wants you to be good in these certain ways. He's commanded things. Mm. And one of the, th- and that that's a huge transition in religion. And that one of the differences though, between Jewish religion and Christian religion is that Judaism is non-evangelical. And what that means is that uh, Jews have no desire to get other people to become Jewish. You right. know, they're not going out spreading the good word. Yeah. They're just like, no, we're the chosen people, and the, and we've gotten this important information, and you guys are out. Yeah. And it's not that people can't become Jewish, but right, in general, they're not Convert. pursuing it. Yeah. What happens with Jesus is, first of all, the moral uh, aspects of the religion get expanded yeah. beyond, you know, to this. And honestly, in terms of morality, the Jesus version is much stronger than the Torah, than the mm-hmm. Old Testament, you know. Deuteronomy and Leviticus are just pretty messed up. It's a lot of stoning people and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. Whereas you get to Jesus, we get to forgiveness and compassion mm. as being some of the main tenets of the religion. And uh, the gospels, which literally means the good word, uh, is something that should be spread. Mm-hmm. You know, starting with St. Paul, I believe, yeah. decided, no, we have to go out and spread the good word. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes a very evangelical. And so the idea of taking religion and spreading it morally throughout the world starts with 
this moment at the crucifixion. Right. You know, and so it is a profound transformation of the world. Now, what we could say is that a lot of this Christian stuff that got done, yeah. you know, maybe wasn't so nice over the centuries, but a sure. lot of it was, yeah. you know. Um, like any greatness, like he was Pontius Pilate said so about Rome. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. When there is greatness and great power, we're going to make some mistakes. Because humans are flawed. Yeah, absolutely. And And now we're at this moment of Charlton Heston watching the crucifixion. Yeah. And again, we see the transformation and it begins to rain and we're out with Miriam and Esther and Tirza and wind has started to kick up. And Tirza says she's not afraid anymore, which is strange because the darkness is rising and a storm is coming. And I mean, it looks like some serious things are happening. They decide to take shelter in a cave and Miriam knows as the wind picks up and the ground begins to shake that his life is over, that he's dying. And there's thunder and lightning and an earthquake. And we cut to this amazing shot of a puddle. And in the puddle is rain and blood. And in the lightning, we see the reflection of the cross. Mm-hmm. That is a, a powerful, a powerful shot. Mm-hmm. And we intercut with these moments of Miriam and Tirza and Esther in the cave and Christ on the cross. And Tirza suddenly is in pain. Yes. And Miriam feels it too. And... There's lightning which slashes across their faces, and their faces maybe look a little bit different. Yeah, Tree falls more in light, lightning. A great shot of Jesus on the cross from below. Um, and Esther sees Miriam's face and hands, and they're healed. Mm-hmm. And in the moment that they're looking in the hands, we cut to Jesus's hand mm-hmm. on the cross. And I love the intimacy of the way they touch each other mm-hmm. in the moment that they realize that the other one has healed. Yeah. You know, these are people that spent four years in a tiny cell together. They have the most intimate relationship one could possibly imagine as they watched as their bodies have fallen slowly to pieces. And now the person they're most connected with most in the world is suddenly healed. And the celebration of their own health is just remarkable to look at. (laughs) And they come out of the cave into the light. And back at the cross, we see blood run down along with the rainwater into the stream. It is, I mean, you, I mean, we've both probably seen a fair number of crucifixions. Mm-hmm. You know, the scene has been played over and over again. Sure. This is the one. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, I think Passion of the Christ is the most accurate crucifixion. Sure. A movie you'll ever see, but I think this is the most poetic and yeah, uh, exactly. moving yeah. and symbolic. Yes. Because what have you been talking about through the whole movie, Steve? It's the water. What yep. is water? Water is life. The blood of Christ is what is you drink in right. in mass, and it is supposed to symbolize uh, purification, forgiveness, redemption, uh, coming closer to God. The water in Mixed with the blood is that. It is right. that. It is Jesus' blood washing well, the Jesus land clean. Well, and Jesus turns water into wine right. water and then and turns wine. wine into blood. Yeah, exactly. And now we see the blood running into the water. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, there's, you can't get more symbolic <laughs> That's than right. this. We return to the house of her, and Judah has returned, and he sees Esther, and he touches the mezuzah on the wall. It's so important mm-hmm. that he has regained his faith. And just as she collapsed onto him sobbing yeah. when she saw him for the first time, now he... Instead of embraces her, he puts his head against her belly. Yeah. In this childlike way. And then he says, Almost at the moment he died, 
I heard him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even then. Even then. And he's been transformed. Mm-hmm. Through- he can finally see it. Yeah. What has been there for him to see the whole time. Yep. And and then he, and then he goes on and says, "I felt his voice take the sword out of my hand." That's a, that line is my favorite line of the movie, Steve. I felt yeah. his voice take the sword out of my hand. Yeah, mm. and and Esther knows that he's back. Yeah, and the fact that he has let go of vengeance means they can have love again. Yeah. And then in that moment, they look up and see the mom and their sister. And I'm crying yeah. at this moment. Sure. You can't you can't resist it. And the slow step up as judah goes up to embrace them and then we hear for the first time not just the the, the theme but we hear the cho- a chorus yeah. voices rising in playing this theme as judah now sees their faces and touches their faces in their hands and notices that they have been healed and esther comes slowly up the stairs and join them until finally here have they have come to embrace mm-hmm. again and then there's this final very painterly shot of the hill with the three crosses and a shepherd in the foreground leading the sheep leading the sheep (laughs) i love that and we have reached the end of ben-hur a tale of the christ (laughs) yeah Yeah. um it's it's funny i remember sitting with you when we saw it yeah in the the movie that's the only time i've ever seen it in the theater Mm -hmm. by the way and just going wow that's a lot. And even, even as a person is not religious, yeah, that's a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And particularly because the director said even only a Jew could make a great movie about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of relate to that too. Yeah. So needless to say, this movie was a big hit. I think it was the most expensive movie ever made at this point. Wow. It was $15 million. Woo-hoo. It was a lot of money. It made $80 million. Saved MGM. So MGM did not go bankrupt at this time. Um, and it won, as I think we talked about way at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It is tied for the most Oscars of all time with 11 Oscars, Mm -hmm. including actor for Heston, best picture, of course, supporting actor for Hugh Griffiths, Mm -hmm. William Weller won for directing, Robert Surtees for um, cinematography, it won art direction, costume, sound editing, visual effects, music, and screenplay. One interesting thing about the screenplay is that it went to Kurt Thalberg or whatever his name Mm -hmm. is, Thurberg. I can't yeah. remember. It's way at the top of my notes. And there was a discussion. It seems like Gore Fidel and Christian Fry wrote way more of this thing. Mm-hmm. And they had kind of agreed, oh, we'll split the Oscar. And then WGA went and read it, and they decided to give it to Kurt Thalberg. And maybe because William Wyler was pissed at Gore Vidal for oh. leaving the film, or there might be some politics there, but definitely some controversy over the winner of the screenplay Oscar. How ironic. Yeah. A film about forgiveness and redemption. Come on. Still boils down to pettiness. This is Hollywood after yeah, all. Yeah, true. Um, <laughs> so, and then it became, as you say, the perennial sort of Easter film, yeah. along with the Ten Commandments that played over and over again. Mm-hmm. By the way, the, the two movies that it's tied with for 11 Oscars are Titanic and Return of the King. Yeah. I don't think Return of the King is in this league. No, I don't think so either. And I don't care what anybody says. It is I, not in the league. I I really like the Lord of the Rings movies. Yes. I think I think those Oscars were a gift to the trilogy. Yes. Agreed. You know what I mean? Agreed. But it shouldn't, you know, I don't think it's it's in the uh Ben Hur League yeah. in terms of a film. Um we've reached the end of our spiritual journey. Uh would you like me to give my final thoughts first? Or are you ready? No, I always like to yeah, I'll do it. Um what do we say over and over again, or at least what do I say over and over again about the classics? They're classics because you can revisit them at different times in your life, and 
take different things. When I was younger, I felt the sympathy of Judah. I, I felt the anger of Judah. I know the desire for vengeance. And it's what appealed to me about the movie and the desire for redemption at some point in life. As I get older, I find when I watch it now that I relate more to uh, the older characters in the movie uh, who try to dissuade Judah from vengeance. And sometimes when I talk to whoever's listening, if some of you are Outlaw Nation fans, sometimes when I talk to you and you talk to me about your anger or your frustration in your life, I feel like I'm the old guy telling you to turn to something more powerful to give you redemption and give you hope and give you uh, impetus to go on in a more peaceful life. And this is what the movie does. And it's more than just a movie. And the great ones are. The great ones teach you lessons. And are there are ones you can go back to over and over again to remind yourself of the lesson. And that's what's incredible about this film. It starts in a place of happiness and peace, but with this kind of uh, tinge of uh, differences of opinion and philo philosophical differences. We see this happening now in our world, the philosophical differences, how that's co co corroding our uh, communication ability between each other because of this and we see where it can all lead if you watch the movie and the movie is powerful in this way it teaches you to decide for yourself if you will seek the vengeance and what will come about if you do seek it you know and what will happen to you what could happen to you if you seek it too powerfully at the risk of losing your family at the risk of losing the woman you love or the person you love most in the world this could be the result and when you walk out of just what the movie could symbolize. The movie itself is an incredible technical achievement all around from the sets to the costumes, to the cinematography, to the music, to the acting, to the pace of the film. It keeps your attention throughout it and it never lets you go. And it gives you an incredible resolution uh, to the film that leaves you happy and at peace. Uh, much like what we see when they come back from the Sermon on the Mount. And in a way, this film is a sermon for you as a filmgoer to watch uh, philosophically or even a sermon as a filmmaker to watch to see what you can do uh, with film and the power of the medium. And it deserves every Oscar it got. Agreed. Um, I've been kind of trying to figure out exactly what my final thoughts are. Mm. And, and the place that occurred to me to start is something that I didn't mention in pre-production, which is that General Lou Wallace was not actually a religious guy. Huh. And that for most of his life, and then in response to this sort of very secular agnostic guy whose name I don't remember, he got upset. And that's part of what led him to write Ben-Hur. And then in writing Ben-Hur, he actually became a more religious guy wow. as he wrote the book. And I, and I was thinking about why do I, an atheist guy, mm. And why am I so drawn to this movie about this religious figure who I don't believe in, where the whole movie is based on the power of this religious guy? Mm -hmm. And this is this is sort of where I'm coming to on that, is that I love stories, and I believe in the power of stories to change people mm -hmm. and to make us better. And one of the most powerful stories of all time is the story of Christ. Yeah. Now, do I believe that he is Christ, the Son of God? No. Do I believe in the power of stories to make people better? Yes. Mm. And this is, and, and by keeping it just off stage, just something you're only, that's only peripheral, is that what you're actually seeing is the power of that figure to transform this person's life. Mm -hmm. And the, and so even if in the end, I don't believe that what they're saying about this is true, I believe in the transformation, which is why 
despite my atheism, I would never ever try to convince someone to not believe what they believe. Mm. If believing in this thing, which personally I don't think is true, helps you to be a better person and live a happier life and be more at peace with yourself, then that is awesome. And I would never ever want to take that away from you. Mm. And I can see through watching this movie, the profound lessons that it carries. And in particular, because this movie doesn't make it easy. Like it doesn't go, and the Romans are bad guys. Mm -hmm. It doesn't tell us those things it just says here's a journey of faith mm-hmm. and it certainly says that anger and hatred and violence and lust for vengeance is hurting you right it doesn't matter whether or not it's justified or right or masala has committed evil it's the effect it's had on judah that's important and that in finding christ he finds forgiveness with his own soul yeah. and that allows him to be happy you know mm-hmm. so I think that's what we think of Ben-Hur. Of course, we'd always like to hear what you think. If you would like to visit us on Facebook, search for The Cinephiles, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, on YouTube, on Stitcher. If you go on YouTube, leave a comment. We love interacting with you there. On iTunes, please leave a review. They're really very important for us. If you want to uh, suggest a film or listen to some of our other audio clips, you can uh, become a patron on Patreon, patreon.com slash the cinephiles. Please, if you haven't already, check out my Great White Shark documentary. It was just released on Amazon, Great White Shark Beyond the Cage of Fear. Of course, you could also watch my film, The Assistance. That's on YouTube. Um, and as always, you can reach me at SR Morris. John, where can they reach you? You guys can always reach me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And thanks to everyone who donates to our Patreon, you know, we've seen the numbers go up, so it means that you guys are really enjoying the stuff we're bringing to you every week, and thank you so much. And like I said at the end of part one, if you have suggestions for conversations you want us to have, 10, 15-minute conversations about any subject or any uh, point of view within reason, we will do that and indulge you as patrons and, and give you those conversations because we enjoy talking about that kind of stuff. Also, if you enjoyed Ben-Hur or any of the movies we've ever done, you can go to our website, www.cine-files.net. I think that's right. And you can buy the movie through the Amazon links there, and it helps yep. us out a little bit and, and lets Amazon know that we are a, a viable podcast that can help them in many ways and increases our listenership as well. Yep. Um, and also, the website's actually a great place to listen to the episodes. All yes. the episodes are there. It's a fun place to listen to them. And I think that is it for this week and our two-part exploration of Ben-Hur. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles. Cinephiles.